Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Henderson MB Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information on our church, visit hendersonmbchurch.com. up I want to pray for this guy before he sh- uh, shares with us uh, Jason and Dolly and I were actually all went to college together we were there at the same time and so it's kind of been fun and our paths kind of randomly intersect uh, here and there and he was actually uh, serving as a worship leader in his home church uh, for many years and then uh, recently uh, moved back to the folks' place to start up farming again so mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure how much of that story he's going to tell but <laughs> I want to pray for him and then the morning is yours so Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to have Jason and Dolly here. Lord, thank you for uh, the work and the prep uh, that Jason has invested in sharing with us this morning. And Lord, as he prepares to speak to us, God, just that every word would be inspired and led and filtered by your Holy Spirit. And uh, that we would be attentive to it, Lord. And that we would be, um, that we would make ourselves vulnerable to his words and to your Holy Spirit, Lord. Um, to hear and receive um, all that, that would be said this morning. So we love you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. <laughs> How's it going? i got to find a place here for this water bottle. All right, there we go. Um, man, uh, this is exciting to be here this morning. Really, it's an honor, and um, especially in such an important season uh, here in the life of your church. So thanks for having me, you guys. Thanks for being willing to, to listen this morning. I tried to get Mark and Jane to like move up a few more rows, but they were unwilling. I was like, you guys are so far away. I might just have to come out there. But anyway, um, I believe the Lord has something for us today. I really do. And this morning, we're going to be digging into Romans chapter 5. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to be uh, really looking at practical steps of how we can become living hope to the world around us, um, how we can become love, and how we can live out hope in really, really practical ways. So I do invite you to stick around for the meal, come back, let's hang out this afternoon and give you some of those really practical steps uh, that my wife and I, we actually have uh, lived out, uh, especially in our Latha community, and endeavoring to live out now in our, our, our Madrid community. But, but first, before we go any further, I just got to give honor to Luke and Joe. These guys are awesome. They really are. Um, I, hopefully you know that. If you don't, spend more time with them. Amen. And I just want to encourage you, uh, sometimes when you're really close to something, it gets familiar, and you kind of lose that awe and that respect. And, of course, they're not God or anything like that, but honor them. The Bible talks a lot about honor and how that just, I mean, it just floods blessing back into the life of your church and even in your individual lives. So uh, these guys these guys are awesome. And little-known fact, yeah, uh, Luke and I, we actually... Uh, lived across the hall from each other at um, at Tabor in Dakota Hall, and uh, we were among the first students. Uh, we were we were the first students to live in Upper Dakota. Now that what was that ninety eight ninety nine? So I was a senior. You were a junior. In fact, I got I got a proof. If uh, uh, Zach can bring that up, there's that's our floor shirt, and I think Jamie was the one right that drew all these. 
So can you pick us out up there? There we are. Do you ever get called uh, Conan or Brian? You, that's, that's gone. That's too short. Dude, look at that hair. That was for real. He looked like Conan O'Brien. That was his name at Tabor. So, and there we are um, <laughs> living out. Now, for whatever reason, we didn't hang out that much, probably because Luke was always praying, and, you know, he was so spiritual. He was so spiritual. Uh, oh, that was awesome. So uh, most of you know me as Christine's brother, and hopefully that's a good thing because she's amazing. I'm also Craig's brother-in-law. I don't know if that – does that take it up a notch? Or does it take it down a notch? Okay. No love in here. Uh, but really, my, my claim to fame is that I'm Jada and, and uh, Sam and Josh and, uh, uh, oh, wait, I forgot Zach, Zach, Josh and Taylor's favorite uncle named Jason. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's totally true. I'm 99% sure that there's no other uncles named Jason that are as well-loved and liked as I am. And my hope, you guys listening, my hope is that this year for Christmas, I finally get the plaque, I finally get the poster, a trophy, even a mug, you guys, saying something to commemorate the occasion, favorite uncle named Jason, that would be so awesome. But the reality is that's just wishful thinking on my part. Why? Because there's no guarantee. Uh, we don't have any certainty, or at least I don't, that they're going to do this because it's the first they've heard about it, right? We, have a, we don't have a written contract. We don't have uh, some kind of handshake. We haven't even exchanged words. I have no given word. And so all I have is wishful thinking. Now, wishful thinking is fun when we're goofing around. And it's fun when we're kind of, you know, just dreaming about the future. But when it comes to real life, I'm discovering, especially over these last 14 months, that wishful thinking, it's just not enough. I need something more concrete. I need something more certain. I need something more dependable than just wishful thinking, especially when the storms of life hit. Come on, somebody. Especially when the pressure of life is heavy. You know, over these last 14 months, we've gone through three major changes, three major transitions. One, we had a baby. So Archer's now one years old. He, he turned one on October 3rd. Anybody that's had a baby, you, you understand it's a little bit of, it's just chaos for a while. Well, and then we moved. So a month after Archer was born, uh, we put the house on the market. It sold within 48 hours there in Kansas City, and then we moved December 20th. I just don't recommend that for really anybody. It's just, it's just I don't know why it all worked out that way, but it did. So we moved, and we didn't just move, you know, across town. We moved from Kansas City, a city, to a rural area, Madrid, Nebraska area where I grew up. So uh, um, it's very different, especially for my wife, who's always grown up in the city. I mean, it's culture shock. I mean, you guys are, are, are familiar with a, a rural community. Matter is like 300 people. It's tiny. But you should come visit us. There's a great little general store. Has anybody been to Madrid? Yeah, we got a few. All right. It's cool. Like, we got this little, like, little house on the prairie type general store. It's the coolest thing. Anyway, come see us and visit us there. So we had a baby. 
we moved, and then the other thing is we completely changed professions. So I was in full-time church work as a youth pastor, worship pastor for 10 years, last 10 years there in Kansas City, and, and we made the shift to now I'm farming uh, there in Madrid with my, my dad. A lot of different reasons for this, but the fact is is that all of those uh, uh, transitions are like in the top five most stressful things you can do in life. And we did them all like in four months. Again, I just, I don't recommend that. But here's what I discovered. I discovered what's in my heart because when, when the weight of life is heavy, when, when the pressure of life kind of starts to squeeze you, you discover what's in your heart. Because pressure in life has a way of squeezing out what you really believe. You kind of come face to face again with, what am I believing? What am I counting on? What am I trusting in? Where is my hope? And herein lies the problem that I think we all deal with. I think we put way too much faith in our circumstances. Way too much faith in our circumstances. If everything's going well, we're hopeful. You ever been like that? Man, everything's going well and so awesome. We're, we're hopeful. And if things aren't going so well, we get real discouraged and disappointed. We put too much faith in our circumstances. Um, You know, I think we, here's kind of how I think about it. I think we think we believe something. Meaning, it's kind of up here, but it never got here. And when the storms of life hit, when the pressure of life hit, it has a way of squeezing out what we're really believing. What what are we really counting on? What are we really depending on? That's what James chapter 1 is talking about. If you've ever read that, it says, count it all joy that you face trials of many kind. Really? Count it all joy? Why? Because it goes on to say, because you have the opportunity to come face to face with what you really believe, and you either have a choice to go deeper in the things of God, or you have the choice to run from the things of God and keep on, you know, kind of focusing on the outward circumstances, keep on trusting in man, keep on trusting in, in, in money, what, trusting in all these external things rather than going deeper in the things of God. That's what James chapter 1 is talking about. That's what First Peter 1, where it talks about being a living hope, it says your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, when it gets refined, there's something really valuable there. And pressure in life, trials in life just has a way of squeezing that out of you. And you have the opportunity to come face to face. What do I believe? What am I counting on? What am I trusting in? What am I going after in life? And, and again, I think the problem for, for both me, what I've discovered, and for you is we put too much faith in circumstances. Things are going well, we're hopeful. Things are going down the toilet, and we're, we're, dis, we're, we're, we're discouraged, we're disappointed. And it really begins to mess with our perspective of God. If, if our hope is in how things turn out, 
It really begins to mess with our perspective of God because we take circumstances and what's happening out here and we begin to use that as the lens to look at Scripture. We're like, well, this crazy stuff's happening and so that i got to now interpret the Bible through the lens of circumstances where God says, no, 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 you need to take the Word of God and use it as a lens to interpret what's happening out there because then you'll stay grounded. Then you'll stay anchored. You know, a great example is this summer, you know, things were going really well. The crops are looking great. Uh, farming's going great. I mean, just uh, things are, are, are progressing along. Sure, there's a few ups and downs, but for the most part, it was like, man, this, is, this has been a good year. And, you know, my dad and I, were not farming all that much. Uh, uh, he was semi-retired already, and he said last year, was like, hey, this is it. I'm... I'm retiring, like this is the last chance, otherwise we're selling the equipment and renting out the land, and you know, it's just, it all kind of came together last summer for us to move back. So my dad and I, we just have these three fields we're farming, and then there's, uh, you know, some other custom work we're doing to kind of make everything work as we're transitioning, you know, the farm from him, you know, into our care. So what we have is really, really precious, I mean, what we're farming is really, really precious. And so uh, uh, there was one day, mid-August, uh, uh, the seed rep even came out. He's like uh, looking at the seed plots and he's looking at the crops and just kind of giving his, his thoughts on everything. And he's like, man, this looks great. This is fantastic. Everything's going really, really well. I kid you not, two hours later, the largest hailstorm, late season hailstorm, came ripping through our area, destroying hundreds of thousands of acres. They say it started in Wyoming, went all the way down to I-70, and just destroyed our area. Two of our three fields, I mean, got hit pretty bad. You know, corn bushels cut in half, bean bushels basically non-existent, and we didn't even get hit the worst. Some of the guys, I mean, it's unbelievable when you went and looked at it. It looked like a bush hog just went through and mowed it down. Knee-high, just mowed it down. Started golf ball size, went to pea size. It just unleashed. And, man, uh, to see all your hard work is what it felt like to me. Just kind of disappear in an hour was so discouraging. It was so disheartening. It was so disappointing. In fact, it hit me harder than I thought. It was just I kind of moped around for a few days. Kind of just like, oh, man. I mean, you, you just start questioning things. You're like, what are we doing, you know? Like, what's going on? I mean, did we even make the right decision to come out here? And all, this, all these questions about God, questions about ourselves, questions about our futures, questions about, you know, our kids. And, I mean, just there, all this stuff starts surfacing as you, as you really focus on the problem. And, and here's what I discovered in that moment. Man, I, I was trusting in, I was putting my hope in, I was counting on circumstances way too much. And here's what I really was thinking, if I can be honest with you. I was thinking, if this thing turns out well, the crops go well, and circumstantially things are going well, then we made the right decision. Right? It validates, it proves we're following God. You ever thought that before? 
And then if it doesn't, if this thing goes south, well, then it doesn't validate it. We made the wrong decision. I mean, to make the decision to go from full-time ministry to farming, that's a huge decision to move your family across the country. Huge decision. If this goes south, well, then we made the wrong decision. We, we're not following God. I'm a complete screw-up. You know, you start thinking those thoughts. Listen, that's crazy talk. For a believer in Jesus Christ, that's crazy talk. That's unbelief. That's living by sight and not by faith. The Bible says we live by faith, not by five physical senses, but we live by faith in the word of God. We live by faith in Jesus. We live, this is our filter to look at the world around. They look at circumstances. And it was such a like aha moment for something that it, that it revealed. And so I got to ask you, what are you disappointed about? And I'm not saying you don't feel the disappointment. You don't work through the disappointment because there's a lot in life to be disappointed about. But what I've found is that underneath the disappointment, there's usually something there. Something we're counting on. Something we're depending on. So what, and, and, and those are the deeper questions. What are you counting on? What are you depending on? What are you, what are you trusting in? What are you, what are you believing in? Is it just good circumstances? Is it just that everything's going to work out okay? How would you finish that sentence? If, if this happened, then everything's going to be okay. How would you finish that? If my kids turn out, well, everything's going to be okay. I think about that as a parent all the time. If my kids just turn out, man, everything is going to be okay. Parents, don't you think that? Or if I just have enough money, everything's going to be okay. If I just get the right job, everything's going to be okay. If I just have this, if, I, if our church just does this, then everything's going to be, be okay. I see it with young people all the time. If I just have the right friend group, if I have the right boyfriend, if I have the right girlfriend, just everything is going to be okay. And it's just pointing to where's our trust, where's, where's our hope. Where's our faith? What are you believing about Jesus and his word? And I, I listen, we all live in the daily grind. I mean, it's a grind sometimes. The stress, the worry, the frustration, the pressure. I mean, anybody who's living life and is alive is experiencing the daily grind at some level. We all need some relief. We need something more solid than just wishful thinking. I hope this turns out okay. Isn't it interesting how we use the word hope a lot? Oh, I hope this happens, or I hope that happens. And really what we mean is just wishful thinking. We're not really sure. We need something concrete. We need something, you know, bedrock. We need something solid that we can hope in, that we can trust in, that we can depend on, that we can count on. And I'm so thankful that the Lord doesn't leave us hanging. Just like, oh, you know, good luck. Have some fun. Meet you on the other side. No, no, he, he gives us his word. He gives us Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today here in Romans chapter 5. And so can we pray together and we're going to dig into this scripture. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that there is a hope, a confidence that does not disappoint. And it's found in your word and so, Lord, I'm asking uh, what Ephesians chapter 1 talks about, just the spirit of wisdom, of revelation, of knowing you deeper and fuller today. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Can you say amen?
Amen. All right, Romans chapter 5, 1 through 5. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Um, I love reading the Bible through different translations because it just helps give a new perspective. Um, kind of my NIV is my go-to, uh, but I love reading through different translations. So lately, the Passion Translation, which is just more passionate, I guess, has been my favorite the last couple years. So that's the translation we're going to read from here on the screen. Look at what it says. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. And now he declares us flawless in his eyes. Man, that's good right there. This means that we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God. All because of what the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Our faith guarantees us permanent access into his marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. Can we just pause and say, wow? Can we just, can we just take a moment and celebrate Jesus? I mean, this is like mind-blowing stuff. And, and we need a daily gospel reminder because we get so caught up in what we need to be doing or what we think we should be doing or how we should be performing. And sometimes we forget just to, to pause and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've already done. For who, who he is and what he's done. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you can go back to that very first verse, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and now we are flawless in his eyes. Wow. This is what it means to be justified. Biblical term, justified. Just as if you never sinned. You are flawless in the eyes of Jesus. My question for you is, do you see yourself that way? Because if you're like me, most of the time it's like I kind of see myself through the lens of, you know, my screw-ups and my mess-ups and my sin and what I've done wrong and how I treated my kids. And yet what, what, what God is saying here through the Apostle Paul in Romans is like, no, no, no. The way that God sees you, the way that the Father sees you is the same way he sees Jesus. Flawless. Because Jesus, with the death, death and the resurrection, transferred God's righteousness, his righteousness, to us. I mean, that's like, wow. That's amazing. And if you're flawless, how would you approach the Father? A lot of times we're like, God, don't, don't squash me. But, but Hebrews says, come boldly. Come boldly to the throne and ask for help and the grace that you need. He sees you as flawless. So we have true and lasting peace with God. This is not peace of good circumstances. This is the peace that the Gospel of John talks about. Jesus says, this peace I give you. What kind of peace? The very peace that the Father and Jesus share together. He says, I'm giving that to you. You have permanent access into his marvelous kindness, into his grace. We have a perfect relationship with God. This alone, Jesus is alive, should ignite hope in us. That any impossible situation now can be reversed and turned around because with God all things become possible. The, 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 the defeat of death, hell, and the grave and Jesus rising from the dead, I mean, it changes everything. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes, but that's not all. What? That's not all. Man, that was good enough. No, he says, even in times of trouble. So verse 3, even in times of trouble... 
we can have joyful confidence, knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character. Improving character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy. This hope doesn't disappoint because we can now experience the love of God cascading. I love that. Cascading into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. If you don't get anything else today, here's what I want you to remember. This is, this is the truth I want you to get. This is a hope that doesn't disappoint because it's based in the one who is certain, not in a certain outcome. Let's go ahead and say amen. Amen. This hope is not disappointing. Why? Because it's confidence... Our confidence is in the one who is certain and not in a certain outcome. Real hope is not wishful thinking. Real hope is I know so. It's confident expectation, something good in our future. But the confidence of something good in our future isn't that the circumstances all work out how we think they ought to work out. Our confidence is in the one who is good. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. He's good. He's faithful. He always comes through. He never changes. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Listen, biblical hope is never based on what's possible with man. It's never based on what's possible with money. It's never based on what's possible in how things work out. It looks away from those things. It looks away from man to the person and to the work of Jesus, to the to promise, to the character, to the goodness of Jesus. And when it does, it becomes a living hope. That's why First Peter says, thanks be to God through his great mercy. He's given us a new birth into a living hope, right? Through Jesus Christ, a resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we continually like stir, our confidence is stirred up in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, what happens, not only this becomes alive, living hope in us, but then it begins to overflow to the world around us. That's what Romans 15, 13 talks about. This is the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him really more deeply, as you trust in him more deeply, because hope is going to overflow by the power of Holy Spirit in your life. And this is a hope that doesn't disappoint because it's based in the one who is certain. Jesus is the only pure constant in this life. He's the only one who's certain. He's the only one that you can count on. He's the only one you can trust. Everything else is going to fail at some level or at some time. And so hope in circumstance, hope in, in, in the world, hope in, 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 in this, and this is the daily pressure. This is the daily pressure. To get your eyes off Jesus and, and look to anything else that might Give us hope. I mean, we already stand in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory. That's what Romans 5, 1 is saying. We, we're already there. It's a fact. This is who you are as a believer. And this should ignite hope. But Paul continues again with the double bonus. I like This is the double bonus. Like we already got it good, but it's going to get better. Even in times of trouble. If we can go to that uh, um, next one where it starts with trouble uh, and gives you a list. Trouble, perseverance. Is that one up there? 
There we go. So the, look at this progression. So trouble in the Greek simply means pressure. Now, I'm not discounting some of the big troubles and the big trials that we have. I've had them. You've had them. But what I'm saying is at a very basic level, trouble or trials just really means pressure. And it's the daily pressure to get your eyes off Jesus and put it on something else. But what happens when the pressure of life happens, when the stresses of life happen, you have an opportunity to persevere in what you believe. Patient endurance in what you believe. And perseverance is just simply continuing this course of action or belief. And there's this idea of passion. There's this idea of abiding with Jesus biblically in the face of obstacles or disappointment. What happens when you persevere with what you believe, you come face to face and you persevere through it, what happens, you come out on the other side with proven character. And really what this is talking about is authentic faith. Have you ever been through something? You stayed on God's side. You continued to trust him. And on the other side, you came out with this authentic faith. And just like, I know that I know that I know this is real. And like, you can't tell me any difference. Someone comes up, well, this and this and this. And like, no way. I know this is real. Just authentic mm, faith. And guess what? Authentic faith always leads you back to hope because faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the confidence of things not seen. And this is a hope that cannot, will not, does not disappoint because it's based in the one who's certain and not in a certain outcome. In fact, Hebrews says it's unshakable. This hope is unshakable. It's like an anchor. It's like a lifeline. Connecting you to the very heart of the Father. The very heart of the mercy seat of Jesus. And it's unbreakable. Because Jesus has got a better hold on you than you've got a hold on him. It is unbreakable hope. Unshakable hope. Isn't that good news? I love the word of God. So, what's our response? You know, I love to think about the Bible that way. It's like, if I, if I, if I learn... What's true about Jesus, if I learn, you know, what's true uh, uh, about the relationship with him or something in the word, I think, okay, what's my response? How can I respond to this? Because that's how the kingdom works. Like, Christ died before we cared. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He made the first move. We love because he first loved. So he is always doing the first and what we get to do as believers is respond. It's like, okay, how can I respond? And I think the key in this progression is perseverance. Perseverance as a believer or, or endurance. It's often uh, uh, translated as, a, as endurance. And so let's talk about perseverance for a second. Because I think a lot of times um, when we think about perseverance, it's kind of this grin and bear it mentality. By golly, we are going to stand our ground. You know, kind of that, we're going to take it. It's kind of this, we're just going to take it. And then on the other side of it, we're hurt. We're kind of a mess. We're kind of, you know, that's not biblical perseverance. It's really, it's just kind of foolish. It's carelessness with what Jesus has already done. 
Biblical perseverance, again, is this continuing this course of action. It's continuing your belief. But there's this idea of passion, this idea of of heart connect with Jesus, this idea that we're walking through it together. I think so often we, we picture God on one side of our pile of junk and sin and mess and all this. And then we're on the other side and we're like, well, I got to work. I got this is my pile and I got to work on my pile before I ever get connected with God. I think a lot of times we think of like that, but but really it's God's over here. He's got his arm around you and say, hey, wow, that's a big pile of stuff. We're going to work on that and we're going to persevere together. We're going to walk through it. Together, because the Bible never says uh, that, uh, well, look at this verse here just comes to mind that Jesus says you're going to have trouble in this world. He didn't, send, I'm sen- he didn't say I'm sending you trouble. He said you're going to have trouble because we live in a fallen world. We've got a real enemy that's out to kill, steal, and destroy. And the enemy would love for you to forget about him. But we've got a real enemy out to kill, steal, and destroy. And sometimes we just make poor choices, honestly, I have, that affect my life. Sometimes people in my life or that are close to me make poor choices and it affects my life. So trouble is a byproduct of living in this world, unfortunately. But Jesus says, I- I'm going I'm, I'm to never leave, I'm going to never forsake you. Romans 8 begins with no condemnation, it ends with no separation. In the middle, he speaks to our identity. I mean, Jesus is so, so good. And so this idea of perseverance is, is, is running the race together. And I love Hebrews 12. Let's take a quick look at Hebrews chapter 12. I think this gives such a great picture of what perseverance is all about. Look at it. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. And let's pause there for a minute. This does speak to the previous chapter and the faith heroes. But this also speaks to our current community. You're not going to be able to run with perseverance or run with endurance without people in your life. To try to solo it, it just doesn't work. Because there's a lot of stuff that happens. We need the faith community. We need our churches. We need our small group. We need our friends. We need, need our relatives. We need people speaking into our life. We need to talk about what's going on in our lives. If you just bury the disappointment all the time, it's going to come out. And it's going to come out sideways. It's going to come out ugly. It's going to hurt your heart. It's going gonna, it's gonna to mess with your perspective of God. It's important that we do this together. Nothing kicks shame in the teeth like vulnerability. And I hate it. I hate being vulnerable. And yet it's so powerful when we reveal our lives, especially the shadow side, the dark side of our lives to people. Because, again, in James it talks about there's healing in that. When we confess our sins to one another, when we confess the dark stuff to one another, there's healing in that. It feels like it's going to be more shameful, but really... It brings healing when we're ready, when we're, we're willing to reveal our lives to trusted people that care for us, that love us, that are, that are for us. So there's this faith community. So, okay, we're talking about perseverance. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Often that's the baggage we're carrying. I mean, you try to go run a half a marathon with a bag of bricks on your back, it's rough. So it's saying, hey, let go of some of this baggage, let go of some of the wounding, let go of some of the hurts and the pains, and yeah, you're going to need a community around you to do that. There's a lot of hard work involved with that, but it's so worth it. 
And it says, let us, uh, uh, especially the sin, there's current sin sometimes that's easily tripping us up. And then it says, let us run with endurance. Same word, perseverance, endurance in the Greek. It's, it's translated the same way. The race that God has set before us. How do we do this? Verse 2, we do this by setting our eyes on Jesus. Amen. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. This makes so much sense to me because I've done some endurance race. Anybody run half marathons, I don't know, triathlons, uh, bike, long bike rides? You've gone on a long walk. Anybody gone on a long walk? Okay, there we go. Well, with endurance races, it, it takes some training in order to do it, right? I mean, if you just try to go run a half marathon, you have no endurance base. You haven't done any training. There's no time. There's no focus. There's no preparation. I guarantee you're going to hurt. It's going to hurt. You may not even finish. You may hurt yourself badly. But after, if you finish, you're going to hurt. And again, that's often what we think. We're just going to grin and bear it. We're going to do this thing. And then we're hurt on the other end of it. But if you'll prepare, if you'll train, if there's focus, if there's time to the preparation and even focus in the race, not only can you do it, but you can do it well. You can run with endurance the race God has marked out for you. But it is funny that, I don't know what it is for you, Joe, or Christine, you've done, you've done these before, but usually around mile 10 and a half marathon, I have this thought. You're not going to make it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's a dominant, prevailing thought. You're, you're not going to make it. In fact, it's, it's going to end right here. Your, your, your life is over. Your, I mean, just these really negative thoughts like you should lay down in the grass. Hopefully someone will carry you away on a stretcher and douse you with Gatorade. I mean, that's your thought. Let's just stop. Let's quit. And a couple things help in that, in that moment. One is readjusting my focus, changing my focus from that thought, that negative thought, to the finish, which is actually pretty close. I'm at mile 10. I'm at mile 11. It's only a few more miles. Spiritually, it's the same way. We, we focus so much on the problem, on the problem, on the issue, on the trial, on the what's going on, oh, man, what are we going to do? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 take your eyes and begin to fix them on me. And it's this continual, we have to do this, it may be 20 times, 100 times a day, definitely every day of this readjustment of our focus back on Jesus. Off the problem, back on Jesus. The other thought that I have around mile 10 is to overcome that I want to quit thought is trust the process. Trust the pro. I've trained for this. I, I can do, I, I just ran 12 miles last week. I know I can run 13 miles today because I've trained for eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever it's been. I trust the process. I, I, can, I can do this. My body can handle this. The same is true spiritually. When you've spent time training with Jesus, 1 Timothy talks about that training, physical training is of some value. But it says training in godliness has value for both now and eternity. What does what spiritual training look like? 
It's abiding. It's connecting with God. It's learning to, to, to work with him and walk with him. It's just this ongoing relationship with him. Yes, it's time in the word. It's time in worship. It's time at church. But it's this idea of continual abiding. And when you continually abide with Jesus and you've spent time with him and you've made it through smaller trials and smaller pressures, if there, whatever the big thing comes, whatever the trouble comes, whatever the pressure comes, you're like, man, we could do this. We've walked through this before. My eyes are set on Jesus. My hope is set on him. And so what, what is to come, I'm confident in because my confidence is in him. Trust the process, trust the training that we have in Jesus. Keep your eyes set on Jesus. You know, will this take effort? Yeah. Training takes effort. But here's what I've learned this year is that grace isn't opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And that's the key difference there. Are we trying to earn something from God by training with him, so to speak, or spending time with God? Or do we know who we are in Jesus? And so because we know who we are in Jesus and who he is and how amazing he is and what Romans is talking about, now I can give effort from grace. I don't have to give effort to try to earn grace. I can give effort from grace because I already stand in the wide open spaces of his goodness and grace. And so then I apply effort to follow Jesus because it's going to take effort to get in the word. It's going to take some discipline to spend time with him and carve out time during the day. And it can look different. It doesn't have to be like, oh, you got to have your, you know, half hour quiet time in the morning with the Lord and your favorite seat and your your favorite coffee. It doesn't necessarily have to look like that. This year has been so different in spending time with the Lord, especially not working in a church environment. I've kind of had to relearn how to like connect with the Lord again. And a lot of times it's on the tractor. I'm listening to like the daily audio, audio Bible podcast. Uh, uh, listening to like the, uh, there's a daily audio Bible podcast. So it just, it reads through a section of the Bible. I do that a lot. I'll listen to pre- uh, uh, preaching or teaching. I'll, I'll just spend time in worship, spend time in praying. And sometimes that's on the go. Sometimes that's at my home. Sometimes that's in the tractor. Sometimes that's on the combine in the truck. I can tell you, man, I can sing really loud going down the road with a load of corn in the back of the truck because it's so noisy anyway. There ain't anybody there. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, just going for it. And it helps my heart. What am I doing? I'm training. I'm training. And I don't know what kind of trial you might be going through right now. Or what you have gone through. Or what's coming up. But I know that with Jesus and your hope and your confidence in him, you will make it through. And so I encourage you, run to him. Don't run away from him. Every pressure, every trial is another opportunity to go deeper in the things of God. And you may need help with that. Pastors, you got here, your, your faith community. And there's no, there's no shame in getting professional help. I've done that too, man. A good Christian counselor can take you deep in the things that are in your heart that you didn't even know were there. And kind of help you work through that kind of stuff. When we think about what, what would it look like if we're all living in hope? 
if, if we're persevering and if the end result is this authentic faith and the end result is this confident hope and we're living in this continual hope, it doesn't mean you don't have a bad day. It's just this, this evident, real hope. I don't think you could contain it. I think it would just kind of come out of you. It would just overflow. People would just kind of smell and see Jesus on you and you wouldn't even have to use words. Right? I've heard it said many times, preach the gospel, use words if you have to. Our, our, our lives are way more evidence uh, of what Jesus is doing than our words will ever be. I mean, our kids, they aren't, they aren't listening to what we're saying. Well, sometimes they are. They're, li- they're, they're watching what we're doing. They're like, well, daddy does this. They're like, oh, jeez. And then sometimes it's, all right, they're learning something. I think it would just overflow from our lives. Listen, the world doesn't need hype. That's often what's being dished up on media, social media. It's circumstantial hype. If you got this, everything's going to be okay. That's hype. That's not hope. They want hope. They want substance. They want something concrete. And we've got it. We've got it. As believers in Jesus Christ, we got it. And this afternoon, I just will walk through just what are some practical ways to, to live it out? How do we give away hope? You know, is it standing on the corner with a bullhorn? Receive Jesus. I don't think that really works that well. What if we develop relationships one by one and just give away hope and love well and watch God do the transformation, not us? Amen? Amen. All right, I'd love to pray for you, can I? And uh, Lord, we just, uh, we come before you and I thank you again for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you, Father, that we can indeed run with endurance the race that you've marked out for us. And we can do this by just keeping our eyes on you, training our hearts in you, abiding with you, this passionate faith in you. And Father, I just, I ask by the, just the power of your spirit, as it says in Romans 15, 13, that you would overflow hope in the lives of these believers. God, that you would overflow hope as they trust you deeper, that hope would begin to bubble over. Father, take them deeper in the word. Take them deeper in your person and work. Take them deeper as a community and a church and small groups and these relationships, Father. And Father, I just, I just believe that, man, incredible life change and transformation will not only happen in our lives and in, our, in this, this church, but in our community around us. So we give you praise and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Would you say amen? Amen. <laughs> thanks, Dean. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at hendersonmbchurch.com or email me directly at luke at hendersonmbchurch.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.